Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Kim Langley. Kim has an MED in religious education and a BA in English Lit. She facilitates over 100 retreats and workshops annually. She's facilitated trainings for her company, Life Balance Enterprises, for 20 years and is a certified pastoral minister. For the past 10 years, she's led conversation circles that introduce seekers of all kinds to a mindfulness process for reflecting on poetry. She's a certified spiritual director or companion, and her book has gotten very positive reception since being published spring 2019, so brand new. Send My Roots Rain, a companion on the grief journey, is a non-denominational and inclusive book designed for easy use by grief groups and individual grievers. It's being hailed as a useful tool for hospice professionals, social workers, grief therapists, and chaplains. You can learn more about her grief work at www.wordspa.net, retreat work at lifebalanceenterprises.com, and training for healthcare professionals and corporations at kimlangley.net. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. Um, I, I love poetry. I wrote a lot of it as a younger person, and then I switched to writing songs at some point. But um, <laughs> it seems to me, I always think of poetry as the language of the heart, the language of the emotions, um, you know, um, kind of deep expression. And Amen. so it's, it's a natural fit for grief, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and it's actually on the front page of the Word Spa website, is from Mary Oliver, and she says, For poems are not words after all, but as necessary as bread in the pockets of the hungry, ropes let down to the suffering or something. It's, she really mm-hmm. captures. She's, you know, she's such a beautiful poet and knew quite a bit about grief herself. She <laughs> so. did indeed, and she turned her grief her sadness, her struggles into something that benefits, you know, all of us, really. (laughs) She didn't waste her pain. Mary Oliver never wasted her pain. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) an interesting comment for this show, isn't it? Because (laughs) uh, I have the idea, which having read your book, I think you share that stuff happens and we either make something of it or we don't. That that's a sort of a, a human choice, whether we're going to actually mine those fields or not. Yes? I think so, yes. In fact, um, early in the book, in the prologue, I realized I needed to come clean about my own kind of orientation toward um, life, my philosophy. And one of the things I was a little nervous about saying, but said anyway, was... I don't really believe that everything happens for a reason. I know a lot of people do. I'm not one of them. I think 
difficult things happen to good people, and then the choices start. <laughs> so no, it's I, all I about completely... choosing love and fe- love or fear, love or fear, over and over. I, I, a hundred and, well, if I could say more than a hundred percent, I would agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, there's a tyranny to thinking that everything happens for a reason. Then what's that reason? And why would there be a reason for terrible things? <laughs> you know? Yes, so, exactly. Uh, I mean, run that idea down a little bit and, you know, it kind of starts to get, um, I don't know, ugly is the word that comes to me. I don't like to criticize something that, is foundational for so many other people, but I do think it gets you in trouble too, especially when it comes to suffering. Well, what I what I've right. noticed, uh, you know, since you are a spiritually oriented person, is that sometimes when people have that kind of philosophy, or have the philosophy which is very akin to it, that um, if they do good, good will come to them. Yeah. That's a related idea. Um, then there's a sense of real spiritual abandonment when really terrible things happen. Absolutely. And uh, actually, you know, I, my, I want to make clear from the outset, I suppose, that when I use a word like God, I mean God as others understand God. You know, I am a believer myself, but and, <laughs> but and, <laughs> I also respect that for some people God can mean the more, or the ground of our being, or but there are many ways to see that. Having said that, I feel that the abandonment issue is huge. I did dozens of interviews while I was writing this book because I really wanted to incorporate the wisdom of others, you know. And so many people, I, w- I would end each interview saying, what's one thing that you learned from your own loss, and what's one thing you think I should tell people that they probably don't know and that's making their grief harder? And over and over, I heard, don't say things like, everything happens for a reason, because then if they believe in a personal God, and you run that down, it makes God into a tester, a giant tester, and that's not very... kind of mean, right? (laughs) kind of mean, yeah. (laughs) And it can drive a lot of people away from an enormous source of support to them during grief because they think or they've been taught to think, you know, God caused this thing. I, I just don't believe that. I, there's not one cell in my body that believes that. I was raised to believe that, but I, I have a different... Stepped away from now. it, huh? I did step away from that, yes. Um. And so we could say that uh, a, a quite extraordinary accident happened while you were writing this book, which is that you experienced a lot of loss. I did. Uh, Gosh. You know, did, yes. well, I mean, the intersection the story of that. about how the book came about? or Yes, I, I, I would. But I did get the impression reading it that you headed into it. And I wanted to ask how you headed into it. But then... Uh, after you were already writing it, experienced quite a bit of loss. Was that accurate? It is accurate. Thank you for being a careful reader. So I'll be brief, but um, I was actually working on another book, a different book, about how to lead poetry circles for significant conversation. I had been leading them for over 10 years and was consistently amazed at 
how people who come from very different backgrounds could have very satisfying conversations, spiritual conversations, using poetry as a springboard, partly because poetry is about, you know, your deeps, like it gets, it's in your head, but it's also below the neck, so to speak, and yes. it's not about theology, so it's not just in the head. So people with just a little encouragement can resist the urge to correct one another or get um, excited about the rightness of their own beliefs. And rather, they pretty easily learn how to make I statements. Like, for me, it's like this, or this is my spiritual experience. So I thought, boy, this is something the world really needs, knowing how lonely people are and how challenging people find connecting on more than a superficial level. This is important. So I started that book. And then one of my friends, who's a UCC minister, uh, saw in a magazine that there was going to be a conference at Yale on how to use poetry in ministry. And she said, Kim, you should go to this. This is your tribe. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably like people there, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So as often happens when there's a nudge from God or the universe, um, I try. I spent two weeks trying to talk myself out of it. <laughs> you know, oh gosh, I have to get a plane ticket, and I'd have to get a hotel, and I wouldn't be able to work for a couple weeks, and you know. But it, you know, these things um, niggle away at your your spirit, and eventually, I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. Well, of course, it was wonderful, and. Um, while I was there, we were going around the table saying, well, what brought you here? And quite a few people were clergy. Quite a few were leading writing groups. Some people were working with people in, you know, palliative care or getting um, treatments like dialysis, and they were helping them with journaling during those challenging times. And then the conversation comes around to me, and I said, well, I'm not leading a writing group. We're doing a mindful reading process with poems that I bring around a theme. And then when we use this mindful reading process, which I'd be happy to describe if you think your listeners are interested, um, you know, it just opens up conversation in amazing ways. And so after I talk a few more minutes, the conversation moves on, and the woman sitting next to me leans over and says, well, I'm an acquisitions editor for Paraclete Press, and we have a book on grief that's doing very well, and we're looking for something to follow it up with. Do you have any poems on grief? And I mean, I almost laughed out loud, you know, like, do I have any poems on grief? One of the big jokes among... <laughs> Probably a few, huh? <laughs> yeah, among poets is there's only five subjects for poetry if you boil them down to their essence, and, and they are, you know, love, longing, uh, death, you know, and so on. And so All said, of which have you... something to do with grief. Gosh, no kidding. I mean, <laughs> it's no accident that people spend their time writing poems about those most challenging to articulate experiences. I mean, that's what poets do for cultures. They help us name things that we can't easily otherwise name. So anyway, the rest is history. She said, we'll send a proposal. And I said, well, you know, I know how to do a proposal for workshops because I'm a trainer, but I've never done a workshop, a proposal for a, a book. And, she said, well, send it to me first. We won't show it to the editorial board until I've gone over it. So three drafts of the proposal, and six months later, I submitted it, and wouldn't you know, they took it. So when they said, yes, we want you to write this book, I was like, that's terrific. 
And at the other half of my brain was going, ah, 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 now I have to write this thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm sure many of you can identify with that feeling, you know, the exquisite well, combination those... of terror and joy. <laughs> exactly. And, and I do feel as if there's some, uh, I feel much more, um, well, for one thing, I say yes to these impulses more since I had a big loss, you know, mm-hmm. what's to fear mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they sure. seem to come around more as well. You know, yes. that was such a serendipity, wasn't it? Oh, my gosh. When I came back and talked to one of my friends who has published a couple books and later became a writing partner for me, you know, we sit across the table and encourage each other a couple afternoons a week. She said, Kim, people go to conferences for years hoping for an opportunity like that. She said, I, I think you should take seriously that this book really wants to come into the world and somehow <laughs> it has tapped you on the shoulder. And I know that sounds like magical thinking, which really is not my thinking, but honestly, it did feel that way. Well, there, you know, things, may not, things don't happen for a reason, and yet the world is quite magical sometimes. Isn't it? You know, Julia Cameron of The Artist's Way calls those synchronicities and she says kind of when synchronicities start to line up, you have a choice to be open to it or to beat it away with a stick and, you know. Or sometimes have, both, as you just talked some, about. <laughs> right. <laughs> I see you so, have had this experience. <laughs> you know, you were going to describe uh, the process you use, but I wonder if maybe you could share a poem and then talk about how that might unfold in a group where you're using poetry to explore grief? How would that be? I would be delighted to. Um, Maybe this inside out poem. Oh, yes. Okay, let's start with that one. There's another one that I'd like to share with, or at least part of with the readers before we finish called Grief Comes with a Ladder. Maybe with your permission, I might start with Grief Comes with a Ladder. That's absolutely Um, fine. You know why um, we, uh, when I say we, there are three dedicatees at the front of the book, Virginia Douglas, Sandy Ryder, and my good husband, Bill Fichter. And Sandy acted as an informal editor before we got to the editor at Paraclete, which was, you know, just a complete gift. And Ginny was a strong right arm. She's certified in the sacred art of living and dying and a retired social worker. So she was a strong right arm uh, in terms of, you know, knowing a lot about grieving. So we really... um, put a great deal of time. (laughs) Well, here's another funny thing. I was supposed to write the book in a year. Four years later, the book came out. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I can relate to that. I just had a book come out in September, and it was very many years. (laughs) God, well, you know, one hopes that that makes it a good brew, you know, because it it brewed for a long time. But um, we arranged the books in, the poems in four movements, following light to di- light to and dark so you know the first movement is um dusk to twilight you know like when the bad news comes so to speak you might mm-hmm. not have even yes. suffered the loss yet you get a diagnosis or the person has alzheimer's or you know the long goodbye or whatever and then the second movement is the actual loss the third one the period of your life where you have grief brain and often are falling apart or lumping along after the loss and then the fourth movement is the hoped-for um, experience of resilience in grief where we don't move on, but we move forward, learning how to carry the grief, you know. So somebody yes. emailed me recently. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Cheryl. 
I just said yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, 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 right. So mm-hmm. somebody emailed me recently who leads a grief group, and they had just started one kind of eight-week session, and they, she let me know, such kindness, right, that they began their whole enterprise with Grief Comes with a Ladder. And here's the beginning of it. This is by Richard Solly. Uh, friend, you ask when it will end. All I know is that grief comes with a ladder, though not for ascending. And she said that beginning just broke the conversation wide open. You know, this is a group that doesn't even know each other yet because their first um, insight was that you have to go down before you go up. If you don't lean into grief at least a little and be willing to ascend into the place that it takes you, then it's, you know, there are consequences for that. When a VA chaplain, when I asked her, what's the one thing that you want me to say people, to people, she said, tell them, do your grief work. If you don't do your work, it really comes back to bite you, either physically or mentally. It, it can absolutely impact your health. And while we're not talking here about, you know, wallowing or, a kind of narcissistic navel-gazing that, you know, renders you permanently um, incapable of joy. Um, She said, you know, it's very much like Brene Brown's message, which I think is so powerful, that if you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's hard to be joyful. And so this poem by Solly, if I could come back to it, moves through um, to this point. He says, I know only this, As you reach the last rung, as your clothes become threadbare, as hope becomes a whisper, a reversal happens, like water, when it's displaced by weight, rises, and is now overflowing the brim. What took you down now takes you up. One morning, a sign of change. It's just a marvelous poem. That's, (laughs) that's, That's beautiful. Uh, it it reminds me of a David White poem about uh, uh, going down into the depths of the water to find the precious coins. Is um, it the Well of Stars? That, that, that's that's a very oh, rough quotation, but um, yes, I know very the one you mean. Grief it's a, poem. It's um, a beauty. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> um, He's so, in our book too. We he was kind enough to give us permission to use two of his poems. I think. Uh, he's a beautiful poet for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're giving me a little sense. We have only about a minute before our first break, but you're giving me a little bit of a sense how how that might play in a group that people would kind of talk about what it brought up for them or how they how they feel about it. Uh, is there anything else that might happen? Uh, you know, maybe we should actually wait until after the break and and sure. explore that a little bit more. Would that be good. Sure, we can we can do that. Great, listeners. You can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Um, and you can engage with my my you know social media by liking, following, uh, retweeting everything <laughs> that you <laughs> that you do. And also, there's a link to all the ways to buy my novel. An Ocean Between Them, which is about um, grief and change, of course. Um, 
about a mother and daughter um, finding their way back to each other uh, in the course of a loss. And to find Kim Langley, you can go to wordspa.net. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Kim Langley, editor and author of Send My Roots Rain. And before the break, Kim, uh, you you read a piece from that lo- beautiful poem, uh, The Ladder of Grief, I believe it's called. And uh, we were planning to just talk some about how you might jump off from a poem like that in a group Uh you know, how that looks when you use a poem to catalyze conversation in a, in a grief group. Sure. Um, well, you know, let me start simply, I suppose, by saying that the, <laughs> the four-year project was a little more complex, perhaps, than it could have been, only because I was so determined to meet the needs of two different audiences. One the group of individual grievers who would pick it up and use the reflections on the poems 
as journaling prompts because each reflection is short, less than a page, but is full of questions for people's own reflection. And they can do that alone or they can do it in a grief group. So people have said to me that when a grief group wants to stay together after they've you know, had kind of an initial introduction to grief, which many uh, funeral homes and um, cancer support centers and so on do, that this book is ideal for staying together because it helps you get past the first layer. And that was a huge compliment to me. Um, at a book signing at the Cleveland Clinic recently, a woman came in who's working many years in palliative care, and she now has uh, people that she mentors in palliative care, and she bought seven copies, um, one to give to each of her graduating mentees, because she is instructing them to use it, you know, as families are keeping vigil or as families are having meetings to consider the course of care or their anticipatory grief. You know, those families that are ready to say, we know we're going to lose you and we want to talk about what that time is going to be like and what are your wishes and so on. And So I, th- I believe with, you know, my whole heart that poetry is a, has a kind of alchemy about it. It's, you know, Mary Oliver, when she won the Pulitzer Prize, she was interviewed and many times, and somebody asked her a question I would have asked her, which is, how long does it take you to write a poem? And she thought about it for a minute, and then she said, well, for a poem of one page, I probably invest about 100 hours. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's a lot of word smithing, you know? That's yes. a lot of working to get it right. And I think that's why poetry has this alchemical effect. Um, I've had many people come to say, I don't get poetry, or, you know, I, I didn't have a good experience with poetry in school. And I urge our listeners not to be biased by that, because I don't have a lot of patience for poems either that you need a glossary and a directory to understand. And so we've read about a thousand poems before we choose the 70. Choosed? I don't think that's a word. Chose (laughs) the 70 that are Mm -hmm. in the book because we wanted them to be accessible but not simple. So they have layers and they allow you to get at the complications of grief, but they're not... You don't have to bang your head against the wall to get something out of them. So we we urge people in the prologue of the book, don't ask yourself, what does the poem mean? Ask yourself, what does the poem bring up in me? Which words or phrases resonate with me? Or which ones repulse me? Sometimes the good energy is in the part that makes you go, yuck, no. You know, sometimes Mm. that's the place to explore. Is that... Am I responding to what you're asking yes, me, Cheryl? Yes, you are. It reminds me of a teacher I had. He's He's been dead quite a while now, but uh, he used to say, no language can ever capture experience, but poetry gets the closest. Oh, amen. And and maybe music. You know, somebody said that For sure. poetry is what music would be if it could be. And I think you could reverse that. Music is what poetry <laughs> would be if it could be. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, yeah, it's a different it's, it's a different yeah. experience though because at least for me poetry is a much quieter experience than music for example. Than music, yeah. Yes. 
I would agree yeah. with well, that. I would agree uh, with that. Kind of, I guess that's kind of obvious a little bit. Um, no, I don't think so. It might not feel that way for everyone. I mean, if I've learned anything over these years, it's that poetry is a deeply personal experience, and what moves one may leave another untouched. It's quite amazing. Now, of course, I've picked poems that gave me that click in the chest, you know, that that mmm <laughs> feeling. For sure. And after leading groups for so many years, you know, I hope I have an ear for that. But only recently, I, I, um, people wanted to talk a little bit about some poems at one of the book signings I did, and so we took up a poem in the book called Widows, and um, it's wonderful. I'm pretty sure that one's by Louise Gluck. There's an index in the back of the book for people in hospice or social workers, people leading grief groups, clergy, funeral directors, and so on. It's been selling really well with those folks, and we hoped it would, and that's why we put an index in so our readers can find widows. But um, the gist of widows is an opportunity to talk about family systems and how they're impacted by grief. And um, we read it mindfully, reading it aloud twice and with a little silencing between each time and and then people chose a word or phrase. You know, that's the process for mindful reading. Read it out loud. Let it fall on your ears. Take a quiet moment to let it settle in and maybe read it silently again. Then a second voice reads it however they want, perhaps with a different speed or emphasis or um, accent on the words, for example. And then another moment of silence to take in that or auditory experience of the poem. Then people hold the silence while they speak their word or phrase into the middle, whatever moves them. And then another moment of silence, and then we discuss it. So we went through that process with widows, and they were a little slow to begin discussing. And I said, how many of you liked this poem? And about three-quarters of the hands went up. And I said, how many of you disliked or very much disliked this poem? And a few hands went up. And so I said, hey, it's okay. Like, art is personal. <laughs> One person could not wait to tell me, you know, why she hated this poem. And she actually added a great deal through her honesty to the discussion because she said, this poem reminds me too much of some of the dysfunctions in my own family. And it's kind of triggering for me. Um, on the other hand, it points me to areas where I might want to practice forgiveness or acceptance or whatever. I don't know what yet, you know? <laughs> and I mean, that's great because that's yes. the poem is doing yes. its work. It still right? worked. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, what's interesting is I turned to this poem and I, and I clearly marked a passage from that Did particular you? poem. And I, I don't tend to mark books when I'm reading them. I like to immerse myself. Yes. But, but this so stood out. My grandmother thought here? ahead. She prepared her daughters. They have cards. They have each other. They don't need any more companionship. Um, and mm-hmm. what I think the reason that stuck to me like glue was, was <laughs> that when I have a bias towards discussing things directly, mm-hmm. which my family did not do. Mm-hmm. But I found that idea so heartwarming that without the direct talk, um, what was happening could be thought of as preparation. Yes. That was very beautiful. Well, it it invites Uh, conversation. I kind of get your principle because that uh, 
it's a lovely poem if people go to the book and read it. But that one stanza just grabbed me. You know, well, doesn't it invite conversation about what is the nature of companionship? You know, absolutely. When absolutely. do you know that people have been there for you? Is playing cards together enough? Sometimes it's it's a really provocative poem. It's one of the reasons that it was included because it opens up conversation about family dynamics in a way that few poems do. So it was a it was a gotta have it when we found it. Yeah. Well, and it captures. You know, there's a lot of mundanity in dying. Gosh, yes. I mean, there were so many times of just sitting around, you know, there's too much going on to do much else. Yes. But there's too little going on to to feel uh, entertained. I mean, that's a weird word, but, no, you know. No, I know exactly what you mean. You don't always feel it's useful. almost and boring it's in a weird boring. way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> See, we have to be willing to say that out loud and not be ashamed because that's love too. Keeping vigil oh, for is sure. love. And it doesn't mean it's compelling every moment. <laughs> no, that's for where sure. the love is at. <laughs> that's right? for sure. <laughs> so I get the idea that there's a, a great deal of spaciousness in a group like that. Yes. That, that you're really trying to leave a lot of, of space. And I can see how poetry would lend itself to that. It's not a real in general, a real wordy medium, even though it's no, made of all the words. Pages are, or I'm sorry, all the, most all the poems are a page or just over a page, so you can easily get your arms around them. And I'm just appreciating the word spaciousness. I can tell you spent time with the book because my hope and prayer every time I sat down to write were, went something along these lines. Um, don't let me say anything stupid. <laughs> don't let me say anything that adds to people's pain in their grief. And help me not to be too prescriptive. I just had a horror of telling people how to feel or of sounding too chipper. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to... I, I do. That's hope. so ironic, though, Kim, because you start out the book talking about people's worst fear, which is that they'll do it wrong. Yes. And there uh, I was, and, full of fear. I'm a tower of confidence standing next to a quivering mass of misery. So there we go. You know, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say there wasn't plenty of um, anxiety in producing this book because let's face it, you're trying to say something meaningful to people who are going through some of the worst days of their lives. So and also, no I'm still so. There. <laughs> I'm also just so aware that you, uh, unpredictably, were were also going through it. Oh gosh, yes. I never kind of got and, to finish that story, did I? And I and I I really wanted to hear more from you about that because, you know, often um, people get walloped by loss and they grieve for a while and they feel like they're underwater and you know and then at some point it turns into action you know it turns into uh if we let it happen I think it's there's a natural gift giving that comes yes. eventually but it's yes, it's rarely synonymous in terms of time right so you were sort of um doing it yourself and giving it at the same time. And I wondered how that was for you. I did have a different kind of timeline maybe from, so, you know, I 
I ended by saying, you know, this book really wanted to come in the world, and I get this commission, and I start. And I'd been, I was already grieving. My my mom had, um, who who knows what kind of um, dementia, and she was, you know, there are about seventy kinds now, so she was becoming increasingly compromised. And um, so I really, when I got the commission to do the book, it it really felt like a call because I'd already been grieving for about six years, you know, if if any of you have done that journey, making the long goodbye, you know, every time you hang up, it's easy to just get off and cry because that person who you knew and loved is not that same person. You still love them, but by the end of a dementia journey, they're, they're hardly recognizable anymore as the person who used to comfort you, you know. So I, I I was not unacquainted with grief when I got the commission, which is part of why it felt so compelling. And then after I'd started working on the book and was still in the process of selecting poems and so on, hadn't even written any reflections yet, I learned that a friend um, had gotten an ALS diagnosis. And we had been out of touch for quite a while. We were both raising kids and we we're both professionals and had our own businesses. She was a dentist, and I'm self-employed as you know, full-time trainer. So we were busy, busy women, but we always liked each other. So somebody, a mutual friend, told me about this diagnosis. So I reached out to her and said, "Hey, I, I hear things are changing for you. Do, do you want to have a cup of coffee?" And she said, "Yes." Well, that was the beginning of really my journey with her for over two years until the end. And honestly, her fingerprints are all over this book because who can speak more eloquently? about loss and grief than somebody who's going through an illness like ALS, which more oh, commonly known perpetual, as... Perpetual, huh? One, oh you know, each I mean, day must be a loss. It is. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. And, you know, here's this vibrant woman with a smart as heck and a dental practice and teaching at the dental school at Case Western. And at first they thought she had um, maybe fibromyalgia or... Some you know some autoimmune, um, and then she gets this devastating diagnosis. But honestly, I used to say to her girlfriend, "I'm taking notes. I'm I'm just watching how you go down this path, and it's a privilege to to go down with you because she she accepted um, her decline with such grace. And you know she would be I say this in the book she would be the first one to say I'm no saint. You know I have bad days, bad hours. But one of her one of her sayings was it's okay to occasionally visit Pity City, but don't build a house there. Is that awesome? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm going to remember that. that when I was writing the book cuz I did sometimes visit Pity City. Why did I say I do this? Was I out of my mind, you know? I'm in the book cave. I haven't seen my friends. But but I didn't I didn't build a house there you know I would come back out people would talk me off the ledge and and then there would be very satisfying writing sessions so that's how it all started and then two years before the manuscript was due my parents who were both 83 at the time were in an auto accident and my mom was okay of course she was already in decline but physically she was okay but my dad uh, cracked his sternum on the steering wheel and went into a very difficult period of rehab and then C. diff and double pneumonia. And they're in Arizona and I'm in Ohio. And I'm, I was their primary caregiver, like really the one with their medical power of attorney and so on. So boy, oh boy, you know, that really heated things up. And 
so flights back and forth and temporarily taking over all their affairs. And then as Dad fought his way back, you know, he was able to take them over again for a while. And just, you know, working with a geriatric social worker who was a complete gift from God, Bonnie Shimko, she was unbelievable. She knew everything. She was a steady hand at the tiller. And I don't know how anybody provides the kind of care they want to to parents that are so far away without somebody like her because I would wake up at night in a cold sweat thinking, if something happens, it'll take me a whole day to get there. And, you know, they didn't want to move back to Ohio, so... So anyway, Kim, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I yes, have to please. take a station break, and I don't oh, yes, want to shorten. I would like to let this have its own natural, uh, you know, arc because I of think course. what you're saying is, you know, there was so much going on, and you were writing this spacious book about poetry and grief, which, yes, uh, I, you know. The year my mother died, I started this show. So I'm relating to oh, that. Gosh, I haven't even made yes. the connection. Yes. <laughs> so when we yes. get back, let's talk more about the, yes, about all sure. of that. We and uh, listeners, again, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. I also have a website, weatheringgrief.com. And you can find Kim Langley at www.wordspa.net. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Kim Langley, uh, the author and editor of Send My Roots Rain. And during the break, Kim, I was kind of sharing that I was laughing at myself because I asked you how you wrote this book in while you were having so much loss. And then, of course, I, it occurred to me that uh, I've done that many times, uh, you know, <laughs> that I started this show when my mom was... Uh, you know, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She lived for nine months, and this show was a new baby. It was the first year yes. of this show, and I was doing that. And uh, do you feel, I do feel that there's some way that that actually helped me a great deal yes, to be sort I, of immersed in the work while I was also uh, experiencing a loss. I, I agree. I, I would, you know, I really believe you have to do your grief work and not all your grief work happens after the loss. So me writing, you doing the radio show, it keeps you from sliding into a state of denial, which is not that helpful. And you really do your anticipatory grief work. You know, that's a, we're such a grief denying and death denying culture that a lot of people don't even know the term anticipatory grief. But it's a huge I certainly piece do, of as you work, can imagine. Right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure your most of your listeners do too. So that was helpful. Then I'm learning kind of what's normal and what isn't, which helped because, like many people, I was exhausted and it was hard to concentrate. And after, well, I, let me finish the story. So then, people, my parents were doing pretty well again, and then my dad's hip broke, resulting in a fall. And he went into the hospital, and he was the incurable optimist. So I talked to him the night before surgery, and he said, everything will be fine. Now, mind you, he's 85 by now, so he's, you know, there's always risk of surgery at that age. But we had a really nice, what turned out to be, last conversation. I told him I loved him, and he goes into surgery the next morning, and he comes out with flying colors, and then he has a massive stroke. So... I get the call from the geriatric social worker. You know, your dad's had a massive stroke. We're life-flighting him to Phoenix. It doesn't look good. I jump on the plane in my gardening clothes. I look like, as my mom used to say, I look like the wreck of the Hesperus. Listeners <laughs> should look that one up. That's an old poem. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I look like. So I show up at, you know, neuro- neurological ICU looking like, Oh, gosh. Anyway, he he went right into hospice. His brain was so damaged. And, um, you know, really I felt like the work I had done was such a preparation because here I have been focusing for years now on resilience in grief, you know. So even though it was a terrible time for this to happen because the manuscript was due September 1 and Dad was in hospice in June, and then a month later, Mom had a massive stroke. It was a complete surprise because she was in good health physically. I really think the stress of losing Dad, even though she couldn't always remember, you know, that he was right. gone. She knew so, something that's was so, terribly so common. wrong. 
It is, isn't it? Several nurses and hospice folks said to me, boy, if they're close and they were really devoted to each other, we've just seen this happen so many times. And we're not surprised. We know you're surprised. I said, yeah, my gosh, I sure am. I recently so, read that, that our hearts actually change shape when we have a major loss, especially yes. of a spouse. Somebody I interviewed said that there's research been done on how many people wind up going to the ER with chest pain after the death of a spouse or a child. Yeah, and well, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. You know, their mm-hmm. hearts are broken. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, so self-care, I don't, you know, after I don't all, want... it's huge. Uh, this leads sort of naturally into the idea of developing resiliency in times of grief, which, of course, uh, is very connected to what this show is about. You know, the idea that, yes, grief is um, heartbreaking and difficult and um, wrenching and sometimes capacities we didn't know that we had or hadn't really developed um, come out of it. Yes. And yes, um, I, I wonder what you have to say about that for yourself or, or given your work in, in uh, these grief circles. Well, let me, about- let me say two things. First, first I'm moved to read the poem you mentioned earlier, Inside Out, by Laura Grace Weldon, who is a marvelous poet and um, I think captures so beautifully this idea that if you do the work of grief, then something good can come out of it. It's a short and simple poem. So let me start with that. And then I'll tell you a little bit about how I tried to do some of that work. Wonderful. So Inside Out by Laura Grace Weldon. I, I commend her to your listeners. Only by snapping open scarlet runner bean pods do we see that they are lined with fuzz, shaped to each vividly hued bean, like a viola case to its instrument. Only by slicing open a trout are its bones revealed, lined up like pews facing the back of a moving church, its scripture, stories of what came before. We see stars only in the darkness, feed a flame only by burning, fuel our bodies only with what lived. You'd think we'd see a pattern, yet we are surprised when loss tilts our world, life stream into waterfall. We're told grief ebbs when all we want to do is bring sorrow's fullness out in the sun's cleansing light. Lay it on the rocks. Let it air. <laughs> I think that poem really captures my, my spirituality and philosophy of grief, that whatever comes, lay it on the rocks. You know, let it air. I mean... <laughs> You know, I'm a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I could give you, <laughs> I could give you the phone number. You're of trying my best to do imperfection perfectly, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brene Brown is my best friend. Let's put it that way, <laughs> because she she knows, she gets me. And so here I am trying to do right by my parents. You know, I love them. I'd walk through fire for them. There were various complicating circumstances that really didn't make that easy. 
And um, at, this, at the same time, I'm knocking myself out to, to do right by them as each decision needs to be made and each visit and so on. I'm doing what um, a friend who's a chaplain said, the, the Buddhist notion of the second arrow. The first arrow is the thing that happens to you, the crummy thing that happens to you, and it's like, whack, ooh, somebody take this arrow out of my chest. The second arrow, you fire yourself <laughs> into yourself. Uh, and uh. it sounds something like, how could I be so upset about this? Why am I not coping better? Or... After I had moved heaven and earth, well, that sounds braggadocious, and I don't mean to, but, I mean, it was intense for a while. And my kids and husband, they were amazing. I'd have been a puddle on the floor without them. And, you know, we had to get my mom settled. We didn't know she was going to die a month later, so they flew down, and we're trying to go through their home in five days. And, you know, Dad has just passed, and we need to have an estate sale so we can save every penny for Mom's care. And, oh, my gosh. So the kids are saying to me, Mom, you are a machine. Like, how are you doing this? You know, we're putting in 16-hour days going through everything. I'm saying, I don't know. I'm skating on grace. I'm just... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm oh, I know that friends, feeling. Please pray or send white light or whatever your spirituality is. You know, send it my way. I'm doing okay. I'm keeping my head above water. If It is kind of hard. I'm skating on grace. That was my constant refrain. So even when I was in hospice with the two of them, I really, really tried to beef up my gratitude practice. Like, you know, this is this stinks. This, nobody wants to be in a hospice with people they really love. On the other hand, look at this staff. Look at the respectful and loving way they're swabbing my mother's mouth and giving her a bath. And look at how beautifully the architect designed the room so that each room has a window that looks out onto something green and a bird feeder in front of every room's window so that while you're sitting vigil, you can watch the birds come and go. You know, there was, it's like the worst days of your life, and yet there were so many things to be grateful for. One day I was, you know, just struggling. We're gonna, we're, we only have a few minutes left, just so you're aware. Sure. <laughs> I was stroking my mom's hair and singing to her, and I thought, you know, behind the, the staff, the nursing school, behind the nursing school, the founders and the benefactor, Behind the doctors, the, you know, hospitals that trained them. I mean, they're just a web of gratitude all all around. It was it was moving and it was sustaining in that a way I can hardly People don't describe. talk about that, do they, Kim? Uh, that's <laughs> no. such a familiar feeling to me. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was right up there with sadness in grief for me, but probably because I had such a long time getting ready, <laughs> you know. Yes. But, yes. um Yes, that's really familiar to me. It's um, bittersweet. It's exquisite and painful and beautiful at the same time. All of that. And I feel that the poems in your book capture that quite well. So I, I hope people will. Uh, I think it's so nice to not always be kind of talking in linear terms, to have oh, ways to, absolutely. to feel how we're feeling. So I want to thank you like a, a lot scribble. for being with me today. And, oh, and the pleasure just was dipping all a little mine. bit into the poetry of grief. Thanks so much. Thank you, Cheryl. And uh, listeners, you know, again, you can find Kim Langley at and her book "Send My Roots Rain" by going to www.wordspa.net. Next week, I'll have Larry Patton to talk about his book, "A Companion for the Hospice Journey." 
This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out a additional-